Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 4 this morning. Mark chapter 4. I do want to mention again the, uh, the brief meeting that will take place right after worship service with Josh and my wife Susan up here. Uh, Susan and I are going to be going on this mission trip with Filters of Hope to Panama in March. And uh, if you're a college student, we would love for you to be a part of that. But this is the, the last week for kind of getting in your uh, initial deposit. So if you've been debating it and you just found out that I'm going and now you want to back out, then uh, see if you can try to talk a friend into going. Uh, anyway, we're in Mark 4 this morning, and as you remember, as we've walked through, you'll know, of course, that we've come to a place where lots of people are saying lots of different things about who Jesus is. Uh, his family says that he's insane. Uh, the religious leaders are saying, no, he's, he's working in league with the devil. And then we studied this section about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit last week. And that is there, there was a comfort that, that all types of sins can be forgiven by Almighty God. But the one sin that cannot be forgiven is to reject the one hope that we have. And that is to reject Christ, to consistently and persistently walk away from the Spirit who summons you to repent and take Jesus. So in Mark chapter 4, we come to the first of the the parables that are introduced here for us. And we learn that we're to receive God's word with a tender heart. And so Mark chapter 4, we'll read verses 1 through 20. I'll remind you, this is God's word. Again, Jesus began to teach by the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him. So that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he said to them, To you it's been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path Where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. 
This is God's word. Let's pray for his help. Father in heaven, what a, what a joy it is to know that you, even now, are sowing forth your word. And so we pray, even as Jesus said, that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit says to the church. We ask, Father, that you would cause us to be tender and to be able to receive what you have planted. We pray, O God, that you would again use a sinful, crooked stick like me to point this narrow way and give us hope in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. It's often called the parable of the sower, but when you read it, you begin to wonder why it's not called the parable of the soils. It's a story about one who throws seed upon the ground. But then you recognize that the, most of the explanation isn't so much about the seed and its throwing. It's where it lands and what it does on the dirt that it falls upon, which is why it's really both. It is a parable of a sower, but it's also the parable of soils. One is a matter to be aware of. That is that God constantly sends forth his word in lots of different ways and lots of different places. But another is a point of application for everyone who hears the word. In other words, what is the condition of the soil of my heart? The seed is like God projecting his word outward. And it is being sent forth constantly. In Mark chapter 4, in that context, Jesus says, I am sowing the seeds of the kingdom of God even now. And yet beyond Jesus, the parable says that God constantly casts forth his word from human sowers like me or others who preach and teach the word of God. But more than that, you actually have the word of God in your lap It is written down for us, and as it sits in your lap and you read it, the the sower is, in a sense, sowing the word. So what's Jesus saying? There's actually probably five or six sermons here, but let me just mention these three things. The first is that the word of God must constantly be sown widely and broadly. Number two, God brings forth a harvest that's always greater, always bigger than what you would ever expect or what any person could see. And those two are the reasons that this is called the parable of the sower. But the third is that when God sends forth his word, you must receive it. Every disciple must examine the condition of the soil of his or her own heart. That's actually why it could be called the parable of the soils. And so here's a parable before us, and it reminds us of this. That you and I are to receive the word with a tender heart. And because Jesus explains the parable for us, he doesn't always do that. But because he does, we can focus our attention on verses 9 through 20. And you see, the whole thing is ready for application. And so our two points this morning are these. Three ways to miss the word. And then secondly, four ways to gain the word. So we start with three ways to miss the word. You pick up at verse 14. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Now, if you have followed along in the gospel of Mark as we've worked through it, you recognize Jesus doesn't just introduce Satan out of nowhere. His opposition to the kingdom of Christ has been present since chapter 1. From the very beginning We've seen this. 
Jesus goes into the wilderness. He's tempted by Satan. Jesus goes into the synagogue, and there a man has been overcome by the demons of hell, by the power of Satan. With every single unfounded assumption about Jesus behind it all, it's Satan who is there to to steal the message and the hope that Jesus proclaims. And so, in his first context, this is what Jesus means. He means, I have come to reveal the secrets of the kingdom of God. I'm the one sowing the seeds, you might say. I've come to summon sinners to repentance so that they uh, they will call on and trust in me. I'm the Christ who came to save. And then at every step, there's opposition. And behind every opposition is the enemy. Jesus says the word of God is constantly sent forth. Not only in the creation itself, as what God has made testifies to his glory, that he is the one who alone should be worshipped, but the word is also written down. In the Bible, very specific ways. You pick it up, you read it, and God's Word is sown. And when you come to church and you hear it preached, or you go to a Bible study and you hear it taught, the seed is sown. But here's what most of us often miss. And that is that every single time the Word is sown, there is a kind of spiritual warfare that takes place. Jesus says there are some who hear God's Word, and as soon as it goes forth, it's like birds on a path Satan comes and he, and he steals the word of God so that it does not take root. I wonder if you ever think about this. That when you hear the word or read it, that the evil one is, is poised. He's crouching ready to, to strike and steal it. One pastor said it this way, Satan wants to do anything he can to keep you distant and cold from the liberating, life-transforming power of God's word. Do you see that the spiritual warfare that Jesus speaks of takes place in the soil of your heart? And we're talking about a cosmic battle which is ages old, spiritual warfare between your father in heaven and the father of lies. The enemy, Satan himself, the one who wants to kill you and steal from you and destroy you. But I wonder if even that awareness would not cause you to want to resist and drive away those those birds away from your heart. But what are the birds? Jesus says it's Satan. But it's distractions that Satan uses to snatch the word away from you so that it never takes root. Did you have an argument with one of your family members on the way to church? One of your roommates? Are you, are you frustrated with any member of your family? Well, Satan would really appreciate it if, you, if, if while the word is preached, you just sit there and hang on to the bitterness and the frustration and the anger that you feel because that would help his cause immensely. Sitting on College Street every single time a loud muffler goes down College Street in the middle of the sermon. It's an opportunity for the birds of hell to to steal the word of God so that it doesn't take root. Is your stomach growling even as you sit here? Are you thinking about lunch? Are you thinking about all the things that you have to get done before you get to Monday? Before you came to church, did you make sure that you went on Instagram or TikTok just to tell people what you're wearing 
what you're about to wear to church and where you bought it from. And, and then when you come to church as the word is being sown, is it hard for you to resist admiring how cute you are this morning? Maybe hoping that others will admire you for how cute you are as well. Maybe you are looking at others right now, comparing yourself to someone who's close by, wishing you were like them, longing that your life would be something like theirs. Or maybe you're looking at someone else that you're not married to and longing. Who are you mad at? Who are you bitter with? Who are you jealous of? You see, my point is there's just about no end to the kind of distractions that Satan would use to cause God's word to be stolen away. I will mention one more distraction that Satan will use to steal the word as it is sown. And that is when you hear the Bible preached or taught and your first inclination is to, to want to apply it to someone else. I hope she heard that. I wonder if she saw that the pastor was speaking to her. I hope he heard that. That really does apply to my friend or my enemy. And the truth is there's, there's always nothing wrong with recognizing that God's word can and does apply to other people. But what if your attention is so focused on trying to be the Holy Spirit for someone else that you fail to hear how God's word applies to you? It's just distractions. It's birds. But it's not birds. It is Satan himself who steals the word from your heart so that you hear it but you never receive it and then the second way to to miss the word is found in verse 16 these are the ones sown on rocky ground the ones who when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy and they have no root in themselves but endure for a while then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word immediately they fall away Jesus uses this word immediately twice To say that this is a person who is impulsive. He or she immediately receives the word with joy. But then when things get difficult, he or she immediately falls away. Paul Tripp said that the litmus test of how you receive the word is not enthusiasm. It is not how you respond on the day you hear it. The litmus test for how you receive the word is found in the days that follow. Which is why it's better to examine the soil of your heart before you get to the place of of tribulation, before you come to the persecution, because those really are coming. You know this as a fact. When when products are, are tested for reliability, they're always tested under adverse conditions. Why? Because whether it's a pickup truck or whether it's a ballpoint pen, the manufacturer expects that in real life, There are adverse conditions. And so as you test the soil of your heart, you should keep that in mind. In other words, are you receiving the word of God because it's exciting? And that's all I've considered. Or are you receiving God's word with such a tender heart, knowing that if it would take root in your soul, it could actually have the effect of of stabilizing you in a world where difficulties come and they really are coming. 
there's a section in the premarital counseling book that I have used for, for years. And it asks young couples to how, to respond, how would you respond in these particular difficult situations, like the loss of your job or the premature death of a child or your spouse becomes terminally ill? And I used to have every couple fill that portion out. And what I began to realize is that every 24, 25, 26-year-old who fills out this is always able to answer the question perfectly in theory. And it's always a perfectly academic exercise. But most did not come to the place where they realized, no, these things really do happen. And so it's, I found that it's more important for them to spend time sitting there and looking at it and thinking, no, this really could happen. I suspect if there was a pre-Christianity handbook, you'd find the exact same thing. That many people hear God's word and initially that message of Christ is so encouraging and they are so warmed by it. That they find themselves moved to, to exuberance, but they have absolutely no sense of this biblical fact. That the Christian life comes with tribulation. That it really does come with trials. And all of us walk through a world that is marred and broken by sin. And until Christ returns, you'll experience it. Moreover, this world is hostile to Christ. Moreover, the gospel is utter folly to those who don't know Jesus. You've received it. Well, you're one of them. You're so foolish. You see, it's how you receive God's word that determines where you go in those dark moments of real life. Like you can put God on trial. God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you making me suffer? Why am I so frustrated? Why do I feel such loss? You can put him on trial by saying, oh, of course he did this to me. He always treats me like this. The whole time your heart grows bitter. On the other hand, if you had received God's word with, with a tender heart, you can look at the tribulation through the, the lens of a, of a loving father who's full of mercy, who's ready to sustain you, who disciplines the children that he loves because he loves them so that they will not be shaken when real life comes. The rocky soil teaches us that the difference between falling away and being upheld by the Lord is the difference between an impulsive hearing and genuinely taking God's word to heart. The third way to miss the word is found in verse, in verse 18 and 19. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They're those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. With thorns, Jesus includes all of the remaining things in life, whether they are morally neutral or whether they are wrong in themselves. One older translator said it this way, it's simply the desire for other Here's what I mean. God's the one who actually gives us desires. And desires are not bad in themselves. If you're hungry, you desire food. If you're lonely, you desire connection with another person. If you're bored, you desire to do something. And so you want to work or have other activities. But desire becomes dangerous when we give it a place that it should not have. Or we try to meet those desires outside what God intends. It's not wrong for me to notice that a vehicle 
out there in the parking lot might be one that I like. It's wrong for me to become consumed by thoughts of getting one or being jealous that someone has one or bitter that I don't have it. So that all the words that I've read in the past, sermons I've heard about coveting and jealousy and bitterness, that word of God which was spoken has been choked out by my desires. Thorns are actually not bad in themselves. Blackberries have thorns. Raspberries have thorns. Thorns are destructive when they're in the wrong places, when they overtake something else. And that's really the picture that Jesus draws here. So you imagine that you came to church and you heard a sermon that was actually very convicting about giving to the Lord His tithes and your offerings so that you might be a part of the Lord's kingdom work. But then you go home and you start searching the internet for another toy, a, a, a tricked out golf cart or a newer car or those shoes or that dress or a jet ski or something larger like a boat, I don't know. And in your head you reason, well, it would take just a little bit more payment. I could maybe stretch myself a little bit further. It would actually be fun to have. But all the while, of course, a seed had been planted and a thorn of your desire was choking on that seed so that the, the plant, the Word of God never grew and had its effect. Others of you might have heard what God's Word says about choosing a godly husband, choosing a godly wife, being equally yoked, a, a believer to another believer. Maybe you want your spouse so badly, though, that you begin to compromise your convictions because you're tired of waiting upon the Lord. If God's, gonna, if God's not going to bring this to me, then I'm going to have to take matters into my own hands. And God's Word is choked out by this desire. No one can test the soil of your heart. In fact, that's the, the, the crazy thing about this. It's actually between you and the Holy Spirit and so you need to ask yourself, okay, what are my cares and, and how do riches and desires and other things that aren't necessarily wrong in themselves, how have they entered into the soil of my heart? And are there thorns which are sitting in there waiting to choke out God's word when it lands in my very soul? The truth is all of us have potential thorns in our lives. We all have places where our desires sit like thorns that are ready to choke out God's Word, which has been sown in our hearts. Where are your thorns? What are they? And then you need to ask yourself the question, am I, am I watering the thorns? Or am I watering the seed which God has sown there? Here's the point of the text. We must receive the Word with a tender heart. And so, the parable shows us three ways to miss the word, but it also shows us four ways to gain the word. The first way to gain the word is to know this. There is always room for repentance until there is not. That's what Jesus says in verses 10 through 12. They come to him, they ask him, why are you teaching in parables? He quotes Isaiah chapter 6, which is spoken about the hard-heartedness of the people of Israel in the Old Testament. And Jesus says, you see, parables have the capacity to conceal, even as they have the capacity to reveal. 
They have the capacity to, to do something to the tenderhearted and keep life from the hardhearted. And Jesus is saying, you see, the, the kingdom of God is at hand and God's word was then and it even now is being sent forth as I speak. And the seed can either be planted and bear fruit to eternal life or it can ultimately serve as a sign of God's judgment as it did in Isaiah's day. Why is any of this worth mentioning? Because there's a temptation in all of us to think like this. Well, he's too far gone. Or she could never become a Christian. But Jesus says, no, don't you see, as long as God's word goes forth, there's always room for repentance. But there is a moment coming. You might call it a hinge in history, a day when God's word will no longer go forth to save. It actually will go forth to judge. So if you've never repented of your sins, you've heard God's word before, then Jesus is, is summoning you. He says, today is the day that you must repent. While I, the Lord Jesus, am still offering salvation to you. Perhaps some of you have been living a double life. And you know it. And God knows it. The Bible says there's still room for repentance. The college student, well, my parents think that I live this way, but I don't. I actually live like this. Or you can be an adult. And the outside of the cup is so shiny. And the inside of the cup is, is rotten and filthy. There's always room for repentance until there's not. In fact, today the gates of God's mercy are still wide open. The second way to gain the word is to know on the front end that even disciples may suffer from hard hearts. That's what Jesus says in verse 13. They want to know why he speaks in parables. They want to know what this parable of the sower means. Verse 13, he said to them, do you not understand the parable? Then how are you going to understand any other parables? You see, a parable is a, is a metaphor. And these disciples who have been with him from the beginning were now in chapter 4 and they don't understand and Jesus says, well, maybe you should evaluate the soil of your own heart. If you don't get it, it could be that you are not tender. This has actually been called the parable of parables. Because what it is teaching, in essence, is, is the kind of heart attitude that a person must have in order to be able to receive the gospel. But it also teaches us that, that God's word continues to go forth in seed form so that even mature disciples should receive it. Let it take root. Reflect on it so that it would change you. That's what makes this particular parable perfect for any audience. Every unbeliever needs it. Every brand new disciple of Jesus needs it. The most mature among us needs it. See, Jesus says, just because you're a follower of me, these 12, it doesn't mean that your heart is always tender in every area of your life. Parents with small children know this by experience. Your precious little child wants to climb up in your lap and they want to cuddle with you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. I love you, daddy. The next moment, daddy says, no, you can't have another cookie, just one. And then suddenly that heart, which seems so tender and warm, is no longer tender at all. In fact, it's quite angry. 
It's not a story about children. It's actually a story about us. We're like that too. Okay, the Lord is blessing me in so many beautiful ways over here. And I can really see how he's been kind to me. But over here, he seems to be withholding and not answering my prayers in precisely the way that I want them to be answered. And so I'm super tender as long as we're talking about this issue. But when I'm confronted with this one, I'm bitter. We all have areas where this parable says we must grow in tenderness. Friends, when was the last time that you heard God's word and you felt convicted? When was the last time that you were struck with the need to repent and and do the hard work that it would take to, to change? And the truth is, if you can't remember the last time, it may be that there's something being said to you about the condition of the soil of your heart. Even disciples can be hard-hearted sometimes. Oh, Father, would you make me tender towards your word? Would you soften my heart and help me see the, the blind spots that I don't see at this moment so that I would be changed? In a congregation this big, there's a fact. All of us have at, at some level failed to take God's word. No one has heard it and applied it personally, perfectly, and perpetually. But there's no value in wallowing in your failure to listen in the past. In fact, we should take this question and look ahead. What's the condition of the soil of my heart today? And will I receive it from here forward? And will I bear fruit with tenderness? The third way to miss the word is to surrender your proud self-reliance and learn submission. Truthfully, your surrender of self-reliance and pride is not necessarily happening in the moment that you hear God's word. It may be in the weeks and the months that follow. And that's what Jesus means in verse 9. Look at it. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's obviously not a comment about physical ears. You've got them. I've got them. But Jesus says this. If you want to gain spiritually When my word goes forth, you must surrender. You must lay down the tendency to trust in yourself most. You must lay down the impulse to believe that I'm actually in a good spot. There's probably not much else I could learn here. Die to the tendency to believe that you're doing fine. The resistance to embrace that what you've heard is for you. If you've been here very long, you've heard me pray this prayer. God, would you give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church? I'm, I'm quoting Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. But this is such a commonly repeated phrase in the Bible because every time God's word is spoken, we must surrender our own proud self-reliance. We must learn submission again and again and again. Do you see how pervasive this is? And yet, how helpful. I told you we'd close with one more thing. This is the fourth. If you follow along in your outline in the bulletin, you'll notice that I have capitalized the phrase, the word. And that is because the parable of the sower, Jesus teaches us what it means to gain not simply the word of truth, not words in general, not even the scriptures which are written and preached. The parable of the sower is teaching us what it means to gain Jesus himself. You see, 
the seed that is sown is always Christ. Who is it that, that is speaking? It's Jesus. The Bible says that the Word of God, that Jesus is the Word of God. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And here's my point. When you come to church, or you go to a Bible study, and you listen to these lessons, or you pick up your Bible and read it, you must recognize that it is actually Jesus Himself who speaks to you. It is His voice who invites you to look to Him. And it is easy to go to to sermons and Bible studies and go, I think I need some moral improvement. Well, sure you do. Or also go to some Bible study or a sermon and go, what I need today is some practical wisdom on how to live my life. Well, I'm sure you do. But more than anything else, you need the Word of God made flesh. You need Christ to take root and grow in your heart deeply. For only when he is planted in you and his spirit continues to nourish his growth in the soil of your heart, that's the moment that you begin to see fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. The word is Christ. And you need Christ. So let us receive the word with a tender heart. Let's pray. Oh God, we ask that since you have sent forth your word that you would make our hearts tender. Help us to be humble recipients of your word. I pray, Father, that you would cause this word to grow forth in our souls that we might bear the kind of fruit that can only be formed by you. And we pray that you will bless the remainder of our worship to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.